Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world of retail. Welcome to this episode of the Retail Focus Podcast. I'm Trent Kling for Leighton Behind the Scenes. Actually, Leighton this week is in Italy. We'll have him on the show sometime in December to talk about his overseas experience. But in any case, we're pleased to have you brought to you this week by Feedback Loop as well as Quantum Metric. Coming up on today's episode, a couple of retail REITs release earnings. We'll talk about one in great detail. Also, Kroger announcing their latest rollout, this time of a membership platform for their customers. And we'll be joined in our interview segment by the Senior Vice President and General Manager of Oracle Retail, Mike Webster. He'll discuss their recent retail consumer research report. We'll talk about the holiday season. We'll also talk about 2022 based on consumer sentiment and what Oracle is hearing from consumers. Glad to have him rejoin the show. A quick reminder that you can like us and rate us however you access us, whether that be on Spotify, whether that be on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy the show, those ratings help others to check us out. Our weekly interviews and our news for the retail industry. Also, you can check us out on social media at Retail Podcast. I'll be taking a bit of a larger role now on Instagram and Twitter, so you can expect a few more pictures than what Leighton might have been posting in the past. All right, let's get to the first news story. As we previewed in our Looking Ahead segment last week, Simon Property Group released their earnings this week. In addition to an update on their properties, which they provided as well as traffic surrounding those properties. We did get an update on their JCPenney acquisition and how things are going at JCPenney. Those who pay close attention to retail advertising, speaking of that retailer, may have noticed a new holiday ad campaign featuring the slightly tweaked logo, some would say cleaned up logo for JCPenney over the last month or so. The ad campaign was rolled out in late October shortly after their announcement on October 25th, 2021, of a new CEO, Mark Rosen. And actually, his first day at the company was the day of this earnings call. Now, as far as Simon overall is concerned, it is important to preface with this. We've been talking a lot about some of the essential retailers and the slight steps back we've been expecting in 2021 on the sales front. You look at the likes of, say, Kroger, for example, or Albertsons taking a step back from those early pandemic buying days. Well, so too it's the case that we expect a lot of mall retailers and malls in general to see a bit of a bounce back from 2020 during those early days of the pandemic when they were closed. And we're not just talking about this from the perspective of the REITs that own the shopping centers, but also the retailers therein as well most of whom, of course, were closed for months last year. And this was certainly the case for Simon. CEO David Simon led off the prepared release by addressing all of the gains they've seen in the last year, gains in demand for space, gains in income, gains in cash flow. And important to what we began the story by addressing with JCPenney, gains for retailer sales in their centers, including, of course, the brands that they own. Net income was up massively over last year's third quarter for Simon, coming in at $679.9 million, or on a per-diluted share basis, $2.07 
versus 48 cents last year. Now, on an adjusted basis, excluding particularly one-time accounting related to the Forever 21 acquisition, their earnings per share came in at $3.13, well over the Zach's consensus estimates of $2.47. And we should note that comparing this data with their historical or pre-pandemic data, that's pretty difficult because Simon as a company has added multiple retailers to their portfolio. So kind of skews their revenue numbers, skews their earnings per share numbers from the before times, if you will, before the bankruptcies, respectively, of Forever 21 or that brands group and JCPenney. But one number we can compare across years is occupancy. And for Simon, their occupancy was 92.8% at quarter's end, which was September 30th, 2021. Base minimum rents for them were $53.91 per square foot as of quarter's end as well. So these numbers are down slightly from 2019's third quarter when occupancy was 94.7%. Base minimum rents were also higher back then, $54.55. Now this doesn't include some of the bonus figures that Simon will sometimes get based on sales. Occupancy When you look over 2019, down at Simon Properties, about 2% over the last two years, rents down a shade above 1% just based on the contractual basis of those rents. Now, the 92.8% occupancy number in this quarter, that's a 100 basis point improvement over the end of the second quarter. So sequentially, things are getting better for Simon, and they talked later on the call about how they expect them to continue getting better coming back out of the pandemic. And Given that context, that context of the pandemic, severely hamstrung shopping centers in particular, other than grocery anchored centers, due to those stay-at-home orders, due to customer insecurity, these numbers for Simon, honestly, pretty decent, all things considered. Regarding just the real estate portion of things at Simon, net operating income, or NOI, in the U.S. increased 24.5% versus 2020. Again, we were expecting that large jump, but This comes as a result of a significant bump in lease income or rents collected. They weren't collecting rents for a number of the retailers that were forced to shut down due to the pandemic. Saw rents collected jump from $994 million in last year's third quarter to $1.2 billion in this year's third quarter. So that alone is a jump of over 20% fueling that NOI growth of nearly 25%. Now, the reason we're here and the reason we were interested in the call is details regarding tenants. How are those mall tenants doing? Well, looks like at least there's more of a demand for space. Simon was able to sign 3,500 leases covering 12.8 million square feet over the first nine months of fiscal 2021. Now, these aren't all new leases. These aren't all retailers moving in to take over spaces that are vacant but rather some of these are renegotiated leases or some of these are lease renewals. Again, though, when you compare to 2019, that 3,500 leases over the first nine months of the year, that's an increase of around 800 leases. Part of this is because, of course, available space increased with pandemic-related closures, but part of it is because retailers seeking to stay in those malls for a longer period of time. And for context, we talk about all these leases. Simon holds over 200 properties firm wide. So you look on a per property basis, you're really looking at around 15 to 18 new leases signed per property over the first nine months of the year. Now, as far as tenant sales are concerned, 
how those retailers are doing. There was a marked increase, not only over 2020, but also over 2019. Across their entire company, mall sales were up 11% over 2019's Q3, 43% year over year. This is well over the highest levels they saw at all in 2019. And they noted that all of this came despite a lack of international tourism, which is hampering some of their non-U.S. properties. But I think when you look at this number, what this really means is how strong their domestic holdings in the U.S. are performing currently, not necessarily in terms of occupancy, but in terms of sales for those retailers in those malls. In part due to this bounce back that Simon has seen in rental income, in part due to the fact that Simon is bringing in additional dollars due to some maybe non-contractual rents, Simon's current share of development projects in the works, so the things that they have going on currently in trying to develop and redevelop centers, that's over $1 billion. So they have a lot of money floating around out there to continue to try and improve their holdings. Now, as we teased at the top of the story, Simon's earnings calls come with at least a slight update on JCPenney. And they don't give out as much information as JCPenney used to as a standalone public company, of course. But things do appear to be trending upwards at the longtime mall staple anchor. The key message on the call regarding JCPenney was stability. David Simon talked about how liquidity for the company, now greater than $1.5 billion, and perhaps the best sign for fans of JCPenney came from an analyst question asking about pricing and demand for JCPenney boxes, things such as selling and releasing them. And Simon said straight up, he's not looking at selling any of the boxes as a company, or at least the boxes that they own, or even releasing them because, and I quote, Penny is just performing terrifically well. The fact that this answer was unequivocal in nature seems to indicate high levels of confidence in the go-forward success of JCPenney. They really feel like after the bankruptcy, they were able to streamline everything financially. They've got things pointed in the right direction. We should, though, keep in mind, David Simon, in answering Q&As, he's traditionally somewhat terse, so it wasn't a surprise to hear him respond with just a sentence or two right there and note that they are performing terrifically well Now, another very good question was asked on the call about supply chain. And the reason this was a good question is it wasn't just a traditional supply chain question. The question coming from an analyst had the idea that it's not only going to affect Simon's own brands like JCPenney and Forever 21, but also potentially the cadence of new openings in malls going into 2022 because retailers are having difficulty collecting enough product to fully furnish new stores and maybe that might be constraining openings a bit. So David Simon kind of broke this down on the call. This is the one question that I felt like he really went in-depth in terms of answering. But first, in reference to their own brands and supply chain, David Simon said, while they're confident that the likes of Forever 21 and JCPenney were going to have ample product for the holiday season, there are, of course, no guarantees. He did joke that He was on call to go down to the port of L.A. to unpack boxes and take product to JCPenney if needed. That was a a bit awkward, but he did underscore that their renters also feel reasonably confident in their ability to stock enough product for the holidays as well when they're canvassing those retailers. But he did say later on in the call, in response to a different question, that some mom and pops might see pressure, particularly financial pressure, from these supply chain issues. 
simply because oftentimes those mom and pop retailers don't have that developed credit. So they are paying for things at the point of purchase. And there might be now a three to six month lag before they can stock their stores, hamstringing them, therefore, financially. But Simon said, despite that, he doesn't anticipate issues regarding regional or national chains, just as far as supply chain issues causing significant financial woes up to and including potential closures. Generally, though, he seemed to be more concerned about the lack of employment growth because he noted that it's a bigger issue on the macro level and more important to the company's future because their success has typically been correlated directly with GDP growth. And if GDP isn't growing, then Simon worries about sales over the next couple of years. He said that ultimately conditions now are leading to retailers in their properties to raise salaries and offer more full-time positions. Simon says he sees that as a positive for the retail culture as a whole, really driving home some of that loyalty within companies for employees. However, he was very quick to note that this isn't the only solution to the problem because he noted that rising wages and offering full-time positions, that's only been a salve for part of the problem. And for whatever reason, people just aren't seeking employment as much anymore, despite the higher pay despite those full-time positions, despite the benefits and so forth. Now, regarding the portion of the original analyst question about whether the supply chain issues will stem new openings and whatnot by tenants, Simon says he doesn't foresee that being a problem. However, again, he went back to GDP growth. As it pertains to overall GDP growth, the supply chain issue might be an issue for new openings in the long term if it persists. So, Basically, what he's saying here is he doesn't expect a primary impact for retailers opening new stores, but it might be a secondary one, and you might see waves of that impact hitting for two or potentially three years, provided things aren't smoothed out, just as far as not only supply chain, but the, the shipping issues that we've talked about getting product into the U.S. One final note for Simon, which is specialty leasing kiosks, for example, that's expected to be a big driver for Simon going forward in 2022. Of course, 2020 cost them a lot of kiosk rentals. Part of this is because a lot of those kiosks, again, mom and pop. So not a surprise that they closed permanently or at least temporarily during the pandemic. Despite the fact that sales are increasing for retailers in their properties and are above pre-pandemic levels, traffic is only now beginning to reach pre-pandemic levels. It's a matter of people just spending more in malls when they go. So with traffic going up, specialty leasing for pop-ups and kiosks is expected to be even better in 2022 versus 2021. And they see growing demand currently, even in Q4 here, as a result of the newfound appreciation maybe for malls that wasn't fully there pre-pandemic as people are itching to get back out into public in some circumstances. Generally speaking, Simon, this is kind of the underscored theme of the call. They expect occupancy to rise in 2022 in general, not just with kiosks and specialty leasing, but other vacancies as well. Now, it is important to note that Simon wasn't the only retail REIT that announced earnings. One of our show favorites, Kimco, also released earnings. And Different segment than Simon. You're not talking about these large shopping malls, sometimes open air, sometimes closed shopping malls, usually open air grocery anchored centers for Kimco after they switched up their portfolio a little bit over the past several years. 
Well, just some quick numbers for them. Their occupancy actually grew sequentially over the second quarter as well. Their occupancy is up to 94.1%, but here's the big thing for them. They were able to really increase small shop occupancy. So good sign for mom and pop retailers generally here. This increased sequentially by 180 basis points. It's up to 87.3% now. So the small shops still have some vacancies there, but this is a great sign, I think, for small retail, for mom and pop retail, that you're seeing more demand for these places. Kimco in the quarter did sign 411 new leases. So maybe not signing those new leases at the same rate as Simon is, but still positive direction for Kimco. And one other final note there, NOI, their net operating income, a number we talked about with Simon, that grew 12.1% over the prior year, which is substantial considering that, again, they own mostly these grocery anchored centers, most retailers in which were able to stay open during the pandemic. One final note that they threw out there, they now own $1.2 billion worth of Albertsons common stock. Not a surprise there necessarily to see that interplay between the grocery anchored shopping center REIT and the actual grocery stores that are anchoring a lot of their shopping centers. Well, that draws to a close our news segment here on the Retail Focus podcast. Coming up, we'll be joined by Mike Webster, Senior Vice President and GM of Oracle Retail. He'll discuss their 2021 Retail Consumer Research Report, which not only addresses holiday season shopping, but also decision-making during the pandemic, a little bit of a look back, and then what we can expect moving forward into 2022. Now on this show, we talk to a lot of startups, a lot of people who are in the retail innovation space. And if you've listened to those interviews, you know how hard it is for these companies to ensure that their idea is going to be a hit. And for them, a lot of them are, but 85% of new products fail. And a huge reason for all that failure is that it's just too hard to validate product or market fit with consumers. You have this old style market research, you have the focus groups, all of that, but that's too slow too complicated, and let's face it, too expensive for fast-moving teams, especially in the tech space, trying to build something great. But what if you could test out your product ideas with target consumers whenever you want, before you put all the time and money into development, growth, marketing, and so forth? That's what startups and Fortune 500 companies do with Feedback Loop. They get quality feedback from their target customers early and often. Feedback Loop is the test before you invest product research platform. It's got expert templates for concept testing, user discovery, prioritizing features on your roadmap, and a lot more. You can create your own test in just minutes and get back quality insights from your target consumers in just hours. And right now, if you go to go.feedbackloop.com retail, you'll get three full tests for free. Once again, that's go.feedbackloop.com retail. Three full tests for free. So if you want your next product or feature to be a hit, test before you invest, build based on data and not opinion, and launch with confidence with Feedback Loop. That URL, check them out. It's in our show notes.
As we wrap up our looks at holiday sales and consumer projections, we wanted to take a more holistic view of the retail consumer. We know to an extent some of the factors that drive consumer decisions in 2021, but it's important to break this down a bit because not all consumer groups behave similarly. And to this end, we're pleased to be joined once again by Mike Webster, the Senior Vice President and General Manager of Oracle Retail. Oracle Retail has released their 2021 Retail Consumer Research Report, which not only addresses holiday season shopping, but also decision making during the pandemic and what we can expect moving forward into 2021. Mike, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Trent. It's great to be here. Now, first, I was wondering if you could give our audience a bit of a primer on some of the methodology used for this survey, where the data came from, how many people you interviewed for this retail consumer research report, that type of thing. Yeah, look, this is an annual process for us. We're always trying to, you know, not only inform our strategy, but provide a point of view to our customers about what we're hearing from their customers. So this year's survey was completed by nearly 6,000 consumers. We conducted those interviews in 11 countries because we really want to get a global perspective, you know, UK, Germany, Italy, China, Australia, Brazil, et cetera. And we have a roughly equal split in there from Gen Zs, from millennials, from Gen Xers and boomers. And we're recognizing, you know, different gender preferences in there as well. So it was a fairly comprehensive approach. And I really did like the demographic breakdowns that you provided later on in the study, but I wanted to begin Kind of at step one here, the title in large, bold print on the first page of the study is Retail at an Inflection Point. Inflection point, of course, a term we've heard a lot of retailers use over the past few months. In the case of this study, in the case of your findings, what was meant here by retail being at an inflection point based on your data? I think we're at multiple inflection points within retail. You know, certainly the last five years of digitization you know, has dramatically changed the way we interact and transact with the brands that we love. It's fundamentally changed the behavior of the consumer. Intersect that also with a world coping with recovery from a global pandemic and the nightly news headlines we all see about the supply chain crisis, you know, I think would lead us to a conclusion that we are at an inflection point and it's critical that retailers better understand what their customers really want and better align their organizations to execute on those expectations. And as you mentioned, we're in the process of trying to understand really not only pandemic retail right now, but what the last 18 months or so has meant for retail. I think the study does a great job of delving into some of the pandemic shopping behavior to date. And I wanted to talk about this before we start looking ahead towards the holiday season. Your report delves into pandemic shopping behavior as far as categories are concerned. We knew some of the popular categories coming in, home decor sales, for example. What were some of the other popular categories, pandemic to date, that your survey kind of uncovered? Well, we all heard again about some of the hoarding behavior that took place in certain categories like toiletries and personal care items. But What our survey acknowledged again this year is that there were clear categories where consumer dollars shifted. Athleisure and casual fashion, you know, moved to the top of that as we've moved a little bit away from, you know, dressing for success, you know, to just dressing for comfort. For sure, we saw an uptick in purchases of 
you know, prepare at home meals. So cooking, kitchen items. We saw improvements in sporting goods as gyms were closed and people, you know, wanted to bring that infrastructure to their home. And we saw an uptick in pet categories. So not just pet food, but items that help them, you know, live happier and healthier lives. So all of those indexed higher in our what consumers have spent more on in the last 12 months. And it's not just what they're spending more on, but also how they're spending, how comfortable they feel in terms of spending. And one of the more interesting findings here, and this is something that we've kind of seen throughout the pandemic, we've had a number of, if you will, false starts a little bit in terms of returns to normal, but your data really does seem to suggest certainly that certain demographic groups are maybe, as the headline says, returning to old habits. What were some of your findings in this regard as far as how comfortable people are feeling towards spending in certain ways, but also on certain categories as well? Well, I think what we saw that may not be a category per se, but we did see consumers indicating that gift cards will be the most popular item that they purchased this year, which makes sense given that there's you know potential supply shortages could make sense and that there might be less travel to see family and friends and a perennial convenience of that last minute, you know, lifestyle purchase is what we're seeing as a key behavior. We also see that, you know, consumers are shopping earlier. Again, trying to anticipate the potential lack of availability of what their holiday gifts are, you know, going to present. So consumers are really in a very interesting position. And as far as demographics are concerned, I know some of the breakdowns in the study, as you mentioned, you're looking at demographic groups from not only Gen Z, Gen X, boomers, that type of thing, but also breaking things down by gender as well. What were some of the findings as far as anticipated spend within those demographic groups, or was there anything that stood out in particular there? Yeah, I think what stood out is maybe not so much about the spending volume, but the really the profile. So, you know, we see parents, as an example, you know, are more likely to order multiple sizes when they shop online, significantly more than adults that did not have children. We saw that, you know, the Gen Z demographic is the most likely to make a gift return uh, of any amount. And in fact, you know, about 57% of that group are likely to return gifts. But we saw that, you know, really no statistical change year over year in several other spending categories of those that are going to spend more or spend less, which was a bit surprising given that the consumer in North America, you know, the balance sheets are in pretty good shape. And as you mentioned in the introduction, a major topic all year long especially in the second half of the year, has been supply chain, particularly when it pertains to out-of-stocks. You mentioned customers shopping a little bit earlier because they're concerned about that. Out-of-stocks, of course, projected to rise as the holiday shopping season continues. And I think we obviously know that customers are trying to shift the spending earlier, but the inevitable situation will occur where a retailer is out of stock of a popular item. And your survey asked about this. What do customers generally indicate that they do if a product they want at a particular retailer isn't available? I think we're all as consumers a bit worried that this might be the year where the supply chain that stole Christmas. Now, the good news for retailers is that we as consumers are more patient and perhaps more empathetic this year. 
perhaps because the volume of information we see in the news has lowered our expectations. So we understand that retailers are having a tough time. So in the event of an out of stock, roughly a third of the consumers in our survey response said they would try to get another item from that same brand. Roughly a third said, hey, I'll be patient. I'll wait for a restock, you know, even if it's a few weeks away. And then about a third indicated that they would switch to a competitor, either a competitor in the form of a retail or a new brand altogether. So a mixed message from consumers about their tolerance for some of these out-of-stocks. And likewise, you mentioned a little bit of consumer tolerance built up over the last year. We know getting the product to the doorstep for e-com retailers was a bit of an adventure last year as well with logistics companies absolutely packed to the gills. What concerns do customers seem to have about the ship-to-home process coming into the holiday season? I think they're concerned that they're going to pay more, again, as supplies are constrained. And certainly, as we've already talked about, their primary concern is they're, they're going to go empty-handed that there just won't be the goods and services that they really want. Some of the other things that we heard about for the first time in our survey this year is, you know, there are concerns about porch pirates. So they're concerned about theft of items that are delivered to their homes. We also heard this year a growing voice being given to, they're concerned about the sustainability of their purchases as they recognize that the last mile of delivery you know, often has the highest impact to their green desires. So some real nuances in terms of consumer expectations in our study this year. And you mentioned those green desires. I did want to touch on those just as a follow-up really quick, because I know that was something else that you asked about in the study, that there were findings there. What are we seeing now as far as consumers and their alignment with certain value systems they might have? Yeah, a bit more than half of our respondents indicated that they really do want to see the brands that serve them have a shared value around ethically sourced materials, around you know their responsibility to sustainability and to you know good governance. Uh, again, fair labor, fair wages, et cetera. And about seven out of every ten customers we indicated said that you know they're also being a bit more patient as they recognize that there are some COVID priorities that may be delaying the brand's ability to improve some of their sustainability initiatives and commitments. But I do think there's clear alignment in what consumers are saying they want the brands to provide around sustainability for the first time. So we know sustainability, certain values important to the consumer, Also, price, still very important to the consumer. And this is something you asked about as far as what customers are focused on when they make a product decision. What are some of the things that they're focused on in the 2021 holiday season as they determine where and how to spend their money? So availability is going to be at the front of the queue again, you know, just being able to find what they want, having delivery transparency, again, clear commitment of when goods and services will arrive. They want ease of returns. Some in the survey indicate they want a multiplier on loyalty points and incentives. Others, you know, want the ability to receive special discounts or promotions based again on their loyalty status. But price will be a significant driver of, you know, not just purchasing behavior, but browsing behavior quickly, quickly followed by the availability. We'll ask about returns in just a moment. But first, just as far as the sales or the shopping season itself, 
is concerned, if you could maybe summarize your findings across the board for retailers, what would they be? What can retailers expect to see from the average consumer across multiple demographic groups during the holiday season? I think that retailers can expect to see that there's a strong desire for consumers to return to store. About 40% of our respondents indicated that is still their preferred choice for how they will interact with the retailers and brands. So I think making that store experience as engaging, as interactive as possible is a critical priority. Second is that they're going to be having to focus still around safety. Okay, so consumers are still indicating that they have a desire for you know, basic protocols as it relates to masks and health and safety of both themselves as well as the staff that serves them. And third is I think that you know, there will continue to be an acceleration of consumer shopping behavior this season like we haven't seen. It used to be, you know, I'll wait till Black Friday, I'll wait till Prime Day, I'll wait till Singles Day. And we're seeing all of those old kind of artificial holiday events really, really fading as now this anxiety about you know, supply chain is pulling consumer demand left in the calendar. So those would be three things I think all of our customers are having to pay attention to. So now we've discussed the sales period. Let's talk about what happens after the sales period in terms of returns. You've mentioned the Gen Z's group's willingness to return products a little bit earlier on. We know of also historically e-commerce sales carry a higher rate of returns, probably one of the reasons we saw a record quarter in Q1 of 2020 for returns. What were some of your findings as far as not only consumer willingness to return products, but what we can expect to see in terms of retailers handling those returns? Yeah, so one of the good news stories from the study is that, you know, while that return cycle continues to accelerate as referenced by an increase in kind of e-commerce sales, consumers are saying that they're willing to consider buying other items when they come into store to make a return. In fact, it was over half of the respondents indicated they'd be making such a purchase. And what consumers are also saying is maybe given the availability of inventory, you know, about a quarter of them plan to take part in kind of those post Christmas sales events and a high rate of redemption very quickly afterward for those gift card purchases, indicating, you know, roughly about a third saying that they'll cash those in and redeem those immediately as their holiday gift. So those are some of the observations we saw. Some interesting findings and certainly some positivity there on that reverse logistics front for retailers looking into the first quarter of next year. Well, once again, Mike Webster, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today on the podcast to kind of unwrap some of the findings in this report. Thank you very much. I want to take a moment to talk to all the digital leaders out there. How would it feel to not only know what your customer is experiencing, but how many others are experiencing that very same thing too? You know, it's about time that all the companies out there put their customers at the center of their decisions rather than anything else and get ahead of the game with real-time insights. And that's something you can certainly do with our show partner, Quantum Metric. You know, we are in the thick of the holiday season 2021 holiday e-commerce sales we just talked about it with mike webster they're expected to exceed those 2020 numbers 
and you should be prepared as this is going on to capture every customer revenue opportunity and not just revenue opportunities in Q4 because Mike just mentioned there's a lot of gift card sales and gift card related sales that are expected to come down the pike in Q1 of 2021. You should be in front of that and with Quantum Metric you can be. Their unique approach to the digital consumer experience helps today's top retailers and e-commerce brands quickly identify and prioritize the big and small revenue opportunities that keep customers engaged and coming back. So if you want a sneak peek in regards to this process, you can visit them at quantummetric.com slash pod offer and see if you qualify to receive their 12 days of insights offer with the code retail focus, this offer gives you 12 day access to their platform coupled with a bespoke insight report that will help you identify where customers are struggling or engaging in your digital product. Restrictions do apply, but once again, you can visit them at quantummetric.com slash pod offer and enter the code retail focus, all one word. That URL is in the show notes. We're glad to have this offer back for our listeners for a limited time. So please do check out that URL in the show notes. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts. We thank Mike for joining us on this week's episode. And again, he's someone that we talk to from time to time. Oracle, such great research in part to support their retail customers. They really do have a great pulse on the retail industry. Now, in our looking ahead segment, we wanted to talk about Kroger as they join others in launching a subscription model. You see a lot of news stories out there saying they're competing with Costco and Sam's Club with this. That's really not what it's all about. When you look into it, this is basically Kroger's version of Walmart Plus. Initially, this is going to roll out to four markets, Cincinnati, Atlanta, Columbus, and Indianapolis. So three of those markets, of course, in the upper Midwest, kind of in their wheelhouse right around their Cincinnati base. Now, this program will be called Boost, and essentially there's a few different benefits for customers. For one is customers who join will receive double fuel points, which the company is hoping is going to be a draw given current gas prices. You know, Kroger is actually one of the top 10 sellers of gasoline in the United States. So, of course, a lot of customers use them for gas. Getting those double fuel points used for discounts at the pump is thought to be a particular driver as we see those gas prices increase. Some media outlets saying gas prices more than what we've seen in the last six, seven years. So that might be in the back of customers' heads. But also the main thing is free delivery for any grocery orders over $35, whether that be from Kroger's app or, of course, their own brand's apps or their website. Now, it is a tiered program. The basic tier is $59 for a year. That comes with the double fuel points and the free delivery within 24 hours. The next tier offers the same regarding the fuel points, but then offers free delivery in as little as two hours. And again, this is one of those things where 
that two hours is the aspirational goal, but there's really no guarantee that you'll get it within those two hours. Now, in addition to the fuel points, Kroger is incentivizing new signups with a welcome kit for new members, includes various offers for their store brands, as well as Murray's cheeses and a number of other things. The contents of that welcome kit valued at over $100. So basically, the idea is you can incentivize this membership program by offering things from your own or private label brands and hopefully get people on that auto renewal. Now for Kroger, a couple of different things. One is, of course, this would be important as far as just collecting some of that upfront income that retailers have begun to enjoy so much. And Kroger, of course, big on non-traditional revenue sources right now, so a way to certainly grow that. But the second is trying to keep up with the Joneses here, trying to keep up with Walmart Plus, trying to keep up with the likes of Amazon. Although I would argue as someone that lives in a Kroger market that I couldn't see, unless you were really a devotee to Whole Foods, I couldn't see anyone using an Amazon grocery platform above and beyond a Kroger platform simply because of ease of use, simply because of time of fulfillment, which is a lot longer here, at least in my market for those Amazon platforms. I realize not every market is the same, but Kroger doing their best to incentivize this. And it could be argued that depending on how often you fill up in gasoline too, the double fuel points alone might be worth it for some customers. But overall, I think what we're going to be looking at over the next few quarters is what kind of momentum do they get as far as the first launch of that program in those four markets? And then will the program be changed at all when they roll it out nationwide? Because again, those four markets, Cincinnati, Atlanta, Columbus, and Indianapolis, they're going to use that to determine how well the program works on the back end, of course, but also some of that consumer momentum, if anything needs to be changed or tweaked before it gets rolled out to the country as a whole. So that's the main thing I think we're going to be looking at here over the short term, really over the next couple of quarters. I think you're going to see it be really six months to a year before this gets launched throughout the country. They are expecting to add new markets as they go, but just interested to see any changes in the platform as needed, and then also just exactly how many people they get signing up through the platform as well. So that'll do it for this edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. Coming up next week, we'll be joined by Tobias Buxhoit. He is the CEO and co-founder of Parcel Lab. He's been on the show before, but he's going to talk about kind of the state in terms of retail communication with customers regarding supply chain issues, regarding orders, and regarding these holiday deliveries. What we're seeing in 2021 versus 2020, what we can expect to see going forward in 2022 as far as customer expectations are concerned it's always a good time to have tobias join the show so we're looking forward to that next week we thank you for listening to this week's episode and we hope to see you then seven days from now this has been the retail focus podcast for more visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com and subscribe on itunes or stitcher Follow us on Twitter at Retail Podcast.